Good morning, Cornerstone Church. It's good to be home. The grace of God is the most thrilling, the most liberating, and arguably the most beneficial feature of the Christian faith, the grace of God. And yet the doctrine of the grace of God is possibly the mis most misappropriated, the most misunderstood and distorted aspect of our faith. By the grace of God, the Father has offered to us the means to change direction. By the grace of God, he has given us the ability to alter the trajectory of our eternal situation. But very often, theology presents God's grace to us as a means by which we do not need to change a single thing. And instead of motivating us to become as Jesus is, the immature believer seeks to justify his unwillingness to change by appealing to God's grace. He wants his proverbial cake and he wants to eat it too. She wants God's grace and she wants to continue in sin as well. But this was never the purpose of the grace of God. That kind of grace, the grace to pursue sin, and to remain unchanged is not a grace that comes from God. In fact, that is not grace at all, but an imposter. And there are many imposters in Christ's church today. And apparently there were many imposters in the church at Rome as well. Those who studied Paul's words in Romans chapter 5 verse 20 where he says that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. They took it to mean that sin was no longer a problem. Sin is no longer a reason for concern because no matter how much I sin, God's grace will only increase toward me. Sin is not a problem anymore. Those who pondered Paul's words in Romans chapter 5 verse 21 where he says, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. They read that, they pondered that, and they misunderstood. They misunderstood Paul to be saying that in this era of grace, God no longer takes our willful sin into account. But since we now have Jesus, we can live how we want to live and we can do what we want to do without any concern for consequence. Because grace is king and sin has been dethroned. These misinformed believers have completely missed the point and purpose of the grace of God. A point and a purpose that Paul moves swiftly now to counteract in our text today. 
He asked the question in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? How should we respond to the grace of God? Since Romans chapter 5, verse 20 assures us that the grace of God is more abundant than all the sin in the world, and since Romans chapter 5, verse 21 teaches us that God's grace reigns and sin and death have been dethroned, what shall we now say? What does it mean? What conclusions should we draw from these truths? Shall we go on sinning? Is that the purpose of the grace of God? Shall we go on sinning? Shall we simply confess Jesus and remain unchanged? Shall we come as we are and stay like we were? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? If God's response to my sin is to increase his grace to me, then it would appear that not only is sin not a problem, but my sinning actually gives God an opportunity to bestow more and more grace upon me. It's a win-win situation, isn't it? I get to sin as much as I want, and God gets to show himself kind to me, and this is the meaning of salvation. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And Paul quickly answers the question. By no means. Absolutely not. The King James Version says, God forbid. <laughs> I like that. God never let it be. God never let it come to pass that I come to view your grace in such an anemic and impotent manner as to imagine that you sent your only son Jesus into the world just so that I could continue to serve my personal passion, my diabolical agenda, and my own lusts. God forbid. For if the grace of God is mere forgiveness, and that's all it is, if the grace of God is merely compassion on the wretched sinner without any power to transform, then there was no need for God to send Jesus to suffer and to die. God, by his grace, could have simply forgiven us without all of the violent drama of Calvary. To say that Jesus Christ died so that I could remain unchanged. To say that Jesus Christ died so that I could become master of my own destiny without any accountability. This is to say that Jesus Christ died so that I could continue in sin. God forbid. God forbid that we would trample on his grace. God forbid that we would make such a mockery of the death of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what makes the imposter sinful line of reasoning so objectionable is because of the fact that through Jesus Christ, the believer has actually died to sin. 
That's what Paul says. Shall we continue in sin so that grace may increase? God forbid. We are those who have died to sin. And this is what it means to be saved. This is what it means to be delivered. And this is the purpose and the power of the grace of God, that in and through the death of Jesus Christ, we have already died. This is the great miracle, the ultimate effect of the grace of God. It is the grace of a premature death. So that through the death of Jesus, the wages of sin have already been paid. And by my submission into the death of Jesus Christ, my sin has already been punished. I'll say that again. By my submission into the death of Jesus Christ, my sin has already been punished. I have no fear of eternal damnation and I am released and rescued from the power of sin. We are those, Paul says, who have died to sin. Now, you wouldn't know it if you looked at our lives. You wouldn't know it if you listened to the songs that we sing because in our songs, we gladly confess, I am a sinner. If it's not one thing, it's another. I am a sinner. We don't sound like those who have died to sin. We sound like those who, though we have Jesus Christ in our lives, we are still slaves to sin, still in bondage to sin. But Paul says that we are those who have died to sin. Because we have died to sin, Paul asked the question, how can we live in sin any longer? Do you know the answer to that question? If we have died to sin, how can we live in sin any longer? Believers continue to live in sin because we do not correctly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am convinced of that. Believers continue to live in sin because we do not rightly understand the meaning, the purpose, or the effectiveness of the grace of God. So now Paul wants to clarify it for us. He asked the question, verse three, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. This is possibly the most fundamental truth of the Christian faith. And yet so many of us remain oblivious to this. That when we believed on Jesus Christ and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord over our lives, that when we received Jesus Christ and opened our hearts to him, we were crucified with him. 
Did you know as a believer you have been crucified already? We have been crucified in Jesus Christ. And at the moment our new life appeared, our old man died. Whoever you were before, whatever you liked, whatever your sinful inclinations, it all died the moment you received Jesus Christ into your life. That is the grace of God. It is the grace to die to sin and to die to self with all its myriad passions and lusts. This is the grace of God. The grace of God is far more than just the forgiveness of sin. The grace of God is far more than God's feelings of compassion toward us. The grace of God is an operation. The grace of God is a rescue mission by which we are extracted from the prison of sin and we have been set free. Paul describes in the terms of baptism that when we were immersed into the waters of the Holy Spirit, we disappeared from Satan's view. <laughs> when we went down under the water, our old man disappeared. Even Satan can't see us. Even Satan can't find us. Sin cannot exercise its mastery over us because we are underwater, subdued in the water of the Holy Spirit. We were baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. And we, for all intents and all heavenly purposes, we are no longer here. I know this is a bit mystical, but this is the gospel. That the moment I received Jesus Christ into my life, Calvin disappeared. Calvin was crucified. Paul the Apostle says this way, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it is not me. Paul says, I'm already gone. It's not me that you're looking at. It's Jesus Christ living through me. Huh. <laughs> this is the gospel. I am no longer here. Our old man can remain hidden beneath the waves of God's spirit where sin has no power. And we can remain submersed in the waters of God's spirit until the day that we see Jesus Christ face to face. We have been crucified. We have been punished for our sins in advance. Let me say that again. We have been punished for our sins in advance. We've already been crucified. The law has been satisfied. There is no longer a warrant for our arrest. Through our death with Jesus Christ, we have been set free from the power of sin and of death. This is the grace of God. And not only have we died, Paul says, we've also been buried with Christ. He says in verse 4, we were therefore buried with him 
through baptism into death. In Christ Jesus, we have been crucified and we have been laid behind the stone. Inaccessible to sin, oblivious to sinful passions and lusts, completely numbed to the cares and desires of this world. And this is why, Paul says, this is why we do not sin. Because dead people can't sin. The contemporary problem we face is that we all want to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. We all want Jesus, we all want the comforts and the benefits that Jesus Christ provides, but we do not want to acquiesce to the severing from our desires and habits and passions. We want Jesus Christ and eternal life, and we want it on our own terms. But these are the terms of grace, that we surrender to the death of Jesus Christ, that we surrender to the death of our own desires and passions and lusts, that we renounce our rights to self-direction and to self-definition, that we abandon our present lives for the life that will be ours if we submit to this premature demise. These are the terms of grace. We were therefore buried with Jesus Christ through baptism into death so that, Paul says, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The terms of grace are clearly spelled out right here. That unless we submit to death in Christ today, we will not experience new life in Christ tomorrow. If we refuse to die with Christ and give up our self-determined pursuits and purposes, God will refuse us tomorrow and we will not inherit eternal life. Huh. This is the vision that God has. And by the grace of God, we have become one with Jesus Christ. And Paul says in verse 5, that if we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with Jesus in a resurrection like his. And right here, right here, I would like to give a little clarification regarding the believer's present location. Because I realize that this doctrine Paul is teaching here is a great mystery. And even with my explanation today, this will remain a great mystery to some degree to each of us, but it's worth mentioning anyway. What is the location of the believer right now? Where are we? Obviously, you and I have not yet physically ascended to heaven. Obviously. But at the same time, we are no longer participants in this world. So where are we? According to these texts, every believer that is still present in the world is hidden in Christ's grave. 
slow down a little bit so you can digest that. Every person who is in Jesus Christ that is walking the earth today is hidden. Our lives are hidden in the grave of Jesus Christ. Our lives have been placed on pause. The heartbeat of sin has been silenced. Our breathing has been suspended. Our ambitions have been blunted and we are silent. We are dead. And if you are truly a child of God today, you are no longer here. Get that in your mind. If you are a child of God today, you are no longer here. You are absent. Only Christ remains. This is the great mystery. But this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are no longer under any obligation to fulfill any particular desires, passion, or lust. You have no needs. Dead people have no needs. And even though you can still see, it is not you who sees, but Christ who sees through you. And even though you can still hear, it is not you who hears, but Christ who hears through you. And you are, for the intents and purposes of grace, you are officially dead. And even when you pray, it is not your voice that the Father hears, but the voice of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and when you are accosted by the temptation to sin, you do not have to submit because Jesus Christ does not submit to sin. Oh, my, mind. I hope somebody's catching this. This is the great mystery of our salvation. We know, Paul continues, that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Our old self, Paul says, has been crucified already. What exactly is the old self? The old self is the person who has been shaped and defined by you, by others, by circumstances, and by your environment. The old self is a creature of the world and not of God. The old self has been molded by fears and desires and shaped by insecurities and the insatiable need to survive. The old self. The fallen nature who, without the aid of God, seeks to make a life for itself without God. The old self, subject to uncontrollable desires and other people's opinions. The old self. The old self cannot be satisfied. The old self cannot be pacified because the old self can find no peace. 
And so it occupies itself incessantly with new ideas and new philosophies and new schemes because nothing can ever be good enough for the old self. He cannot be satisfied. He can only be crucified. The old self has no vision beyond momentary delights. The purpose of the old self is to serve sin under the delusion that serving sin is honoring itself. That submitting to ungodly desires is being true to itself. Hmm. The old self is naturally rebellious. Rebellious against God, rebellious against everything that is true. The old self thinks itself to be the truth and everyone else is a liar. The old self is the would-be God who seats itself at the table and demands to be recognized for who he is not. The old self delights in lies rather than the truth, pursues its own ends without regard for any eternal purpose. The old self. And for the believer, this old self has been crucified no longer recognized and no longer served. Its passions and its lusts have been eradicated by the power of the grace of God. And the old self has received its well-deserved termination, its well-deserved annihilation, hung upon the same cross where Jesus drew his final breath. So that the cross of Jesus Christ is the place of self-subjugation. The cross upon which each and every child of God has hung. The cross from which the old self with Jesus has breathed its final breath and said it's finished. The old self has been annihilated. And therefore, Paul makes the observation in verse 7 that Anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We do not continue sinning because we have been set free from sin. Verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Jesus. And therefore, vicariously, the same holds true for the children of God. Because we have already died with Christ. Because we have also been raised with Christ. We cannot die again. We have already been judged. The wages of sin is death and we have already died. Our old self cannot come down from the cross. Our old self cannot roll back the stone. And since we have already died once and defeated death through Jesus Christ, we cannot die again. That's why Paul the Apostle says, when I'm absent from my body, I am present with the Lord. I've already died. All that can happen now is when I'm absent from this body, I'm immediately present in the sight of the Lord. Death has no dominion. We have already voluntarily submitted to death on a cross. Ah. Death no longer has mastery over us. 
because sin no longer has mastery over us. Death is the consequence of sin, and we've already voluntarily undergone, undergone those consequences. We have died with Christ. And Paul says that the death Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. Jesus doesn't keep on dying. He died once. And it is appointed, the Bible says, it is appointed to every man once to die. Children of God have already died. and We do not have to experience death again, but only eternal, eternal life. Oh, that death was only a temporary, one-time experience. But the life of Jesus Christ that he lives now is for eternity, world everlasting, and from everlasting to everlasting, he dies no more. Hmm. And I realize that most of us are not experiencing this level of victory over sin in our daily lives. I know that's true. I realize that for many of us, Paul's dissertation here sounds like the ideal. It sounds like an aspiration toward victorious living, but not something that we can attain to today. I know it sounds that way. It sounds and seems quite impossible that one could live a life free from sin on this side of heaven. In fact, we preach that you can't do it. We preach that you cannot live a sin-free life this side of heaven. We say it with certainty. I think Paul would scratch his head if he heard us saying that. But we're not living victorious lives. We're not living lives free from sin. And at this point, Paul provides us with an application. At this point, Paul gives us instruction that can help us gain mastery over ourselves, over our carnal desires. Paul gives us instruction so that we can learn to master our temptations and our sins if we will listen to his words. He says, in the same way, In the same way that Jesus Christ died only once, but now lives eternally in pursuit of the will of God, in the same way, here it is, you ready? Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the application. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to tell you something, in my own opinion. This is the most potent and effective practice of the Christian faith. And yet somehow this is one of the least taught doctrines in the Bible. And so believers don't practice it nearly enough. It is the simple practice of considering ourselves dead to sin. In fact, we do just the opposite. We consider ourselves sinners. Paul said, consider yourself dead to sin, and we do exactly the opposite. We consider ourselves sinners, and we wonder why we can't master sin. Paul said, consider yourself dead to sin. But 
we consider ourselves sinners, we consider ourselves defeated, we consider ourselves without any recourse or redress to sins, constant violations of our liberty. We serve at the whims of a sinful nature. Paul said that's not the way it's supposed to be. We imagine that we must bow to our desires. And we labor under the misnomer that this is the will of God, that we be in regular need of new grace to cover our new and consistent sins. That is not what Paul taught. And we do not get the victory over sin because we do not expect the victory over sin. Paul said, brothers and sisters, consider yourself dead. Take the time every day to contemplate the truth of your annihilation. Take the time every day to ponder this mystery and to envision this victory not as some future reality, but as a present truth. Believe that you are dead right now. And as you daily meditate upon the mystery of your death through Jesus Christ, as you see yourself by faith upon that cross with Jesus, you will begin to see your sins decrease dramatically over time. You will sin, I'm a witness of this, you will sin less and less as you believe this more and more. You will die to sin. I've shown you guys this a lot of time, but a couple new people here, so I'm gonna show you how I do this every day. Same thing, 15 minutes every morning. When I first get up, after I drink my coffee, I sit down and I close my eyes and I mumble to myself, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not me. It's Christ living through me. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I live but it's not me, but Christ living through me. I am crucified with Christ every day. That's what Paul told us to do. Consider this, contemplate this. Don't take it for granted. Practice believing it. Practice believing that you are gone, that nobody's left here but Jesus. I dare you to start practicing this today, and it'll be two weeks. You'll, you'll have victory. You'll wonder, how is this happening? Because now you believe. You're applying your faith to the truth. Faith without works is dead. Apply your faith to this truth. Contemplate this truth. Consider what it means for you to be dead. When you die to yourself, when you die to sin, People will offend you and you won't even realize you're supposed to be offended. I was dead broke, 26 years old, living in such poverty you wouldn't believe it. Lights off in my house. I'm walking through the house singing songs, praising God. My brother come over and say, man, you're in a bad situation, brother. How, how can you feel so, I'm dead, I'm not even here. I'm not here. Ah, I'm talking about getting victory, understanding the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not even here. I don't even feel a thing. Why don't you feel anything? Because I'm dead. Dead men aren't rich or poor. They're just dead. <laughs> Practice voluntarily being crucified just for five or 10 minutes a day. 
doesn't take long to see yourself hanging there with Jesus. Listen, the story of Jesus Christ's crucifixion is our story. We are there on the cross with Jesus. You ever see it that way? Every child of God has hung on the same cross that Jesus hung on. We hung in him. This is why I love the book of Romans. It explains the faith so clearly that even a child can't miss the way. You will sin less and less as you believe more and more that you are dead to sin. Then you will fulfill Paul's instructions in verse 12 to not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Then he says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. And he concludes with this in verse 14, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. Somehow in the Christian doctrine, our Christian doctrine, we get this thing so confused. We say, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. That means that my sins don't count and I can always get through. Paul says here that that's not the purpose of grace. Because you are no longer under the law but under grace, that means that sin is no longer your master. Why are you still sinning the way you are? Maybe because you're not understanding the gospel. Maybe because you do not understand the power of the grace of God, contrary to, or at least in addition to our understanding of God's grace as forgiveness of sin, we should also come to understand God's grace as both forgiveness and empowerment. Forgiveness and empowerment. By the grace of God, my sins have been washed away. By the grace of God, through Jesus Christ, my sin has been overcome. That's Paul's recipe for victorious living over sin. To clarify for us that it is possible to become more and more like Jesus on this side of heaven, that we don't have to settle. Continue to submit to the same passions and lusts year after year, never getting any better, never changing. The grace of God has the power to change us and to make us new, to make us over, to make us better. My prayer for each of us is that we will submit to, that we will begin to contemplate daily what it means to be crucified with Christ Jesus so that the old man can be done away and so that we might have newness of life. Let's pray. Father God, Paul the Apostle said it best that without controversy, great is the mystery 
of godliness. Father, we thank you today for your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray, Lord God, that you will help us to understand better and better, more and more each day, just what the crucifixion of Jesus Christ means for us in our daily lives. I pray, Lord God, that you will teach us more and more how to make full use of the means of the grace that you have given to us so that we can overcome sin. So that we can stop struggling with the same temptations year after year so that we can finally get victory and mastery over ourselves. We have been crucified with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The old man has been done away, and we thank you for the victory that we have in him. We thank you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit by which we have been inducted into the body of Jesus Christ. Help us to live, Lord God, beyond just religion. Help us to live, Lord God, beyond just words. But teach us to practice your grace. Teach us to practice living sin-free, victorious lives. We thank you because you forgive us even when we fall. But Father, what we pray for more than anything is that we will fall less and less as years go by so that we can be glorifying to you and bring credit to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for us, who gave his life. Help us to give our lives in service to him. Help us to deny ourselves. Help us to move beyond these worldly passions and desires, to seek those things that are above and not those things that are beneath. Only you can do it by the power of your grace. Infuse us with that grace even now. In Jesus' name, amen.